You know, it's really interesting. Sometimes I, uh, I hear things after a service, and uh, especially uh, it seems like after the first service, when first service people are talking to second service people, and, and uh, I, I hear, you know, he must have had a couple of extra cups of coffee. <laughs> I, I want you to know, I, I, I have one cup of coffee, but I, am, I, am, I'm, I'm, I want so badly to not just have my relationship with my God as a routine or a ritual. Because I've learned, I've learned. I've learned in my life when, when I take anyone or anything for granted, all of a sudden it becomes very common. The value seems to drop where it actually isn't dropping. If I do that with my wife, Yeah, I, I, some of you guys are like, oh, and the ladies are like, mm-hmm. <laughs> because we know when we take something or someone for granted, all of a sudden they don't have the, the priority in our life. They don't have the, the value in our life. They don't have the impact in our life that, that they once did. And, and you know what? It's because we've changed how we view them. You know, I, I, at times I've, I've done premarital counseling and tried to help people understand that, you know, there are things that are different between you two people that are coming together in a covenant before God. And, and those differences, many times, those differences are what we value highly initially. And they don't change, and then we devalue them later on. It's like, you know, he is, he is just such a, a quiet and confident person. And later on, it's like, he doesn't talk to me, and he's just arrogant. And he looks at her, and he says, you know, she is so outgoing and so full of life. Later on, he's like, you're just so dramatic. It's the same thing with a different value we place on it. But that person hasn't changed. And all of a sudden, we become comfortable. It's become convenient and common, and, and we just kind of go through motions, and then we stop even going through motions. We all know this is true. And it doesn't just happen in our human relationships. It happens in our relationship with God. And I have, I have been so aware since last year that I need to really be intentional and recognize the value that God has and how I've let that value slip in my estimation. And I am doing everything I know to do with the help of people in my life to hold me accountable to not being religious and not going through motions. And I... I I just want to mention to you that Debbie and I went out on a date night and, and went to a movie, which we don't go to a lot of movies because a lot of movies are garbage. Just my opinion. <laughs> I don't need an email or a text. But we went to see a movie called The Jesus Revolution. 
And if you haven't seen it, you don't know why everybody's clapping. But I would encourage you to see it because it is, it is a historical presentation of what happened back in the 60s and 70s when the Jesus movement was going on. And it was, it was about a number of different characters, but the main characters were Pastor Greg Laurie and how he was, his life was just headed downhill fast. And how Pastor Chuck Smith, who was a pastor, now Pastor Greg Laurie wasn't a pastor when his life was headed down, downhill. He was just a regular person like you and me, and, and uh, he was just, just trying to find his way and very, very lost. And Pastor Chuck Smith had a church in California called Calvary's Chapel, and his church was headed downhill. There wasn't a lot of life in it. And there was an opportunity for him to do something different, out of the ordinary, uh, not the status quo, and invite some hippies into the church. And yeah, the, the, I will tell you, back in the 60s, my family, my mom and dad and my brother, had an opportunity to take a vacation. And we went out west in an RV. Now, when I tell you an RV, it was just a oversized van. And we spent two weeks together in an oversized van. <laughs> but we went all over. And, and one of the places we went to, we went to San Francisco. Now, I, I will tell you a funny story real quickly is we were in San Francisco, and my dad was always joking around with us, and we're going down one of the steepest hills, and my dad says, I don't have brakes. And we're like, ha, 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 ha. And we looked at my dad, and my dad was terrified. And we lost the brakes in San Francisco. And so we had to find a place. Thank God. You know, it, somehow he got it stopped. I don't know how he did it. I don't know if the angels are going to tell me when I get up there, man, we worked hard to stop you from going into the bay. But it got stopped. We had to get it fixed. And so we just took some time in San Francisco, and we went all around. We went to Haight-Ashbury and, and saw the hippies, the movement, the Jesus people, and a bunch of druggies, too. But it was amazing. And, and when I watched this movie, I will tell you that I, I sat in the movie and I wept through most of it. Because what God was doing was It was amazing. It was awesome. And to see what these, these people, Pastor Chuck did, and how he was willing to do something that wasn't what they normally did, and how people responded, and how excited, how truly excited and thankful and grateful and alive these people were that were just coming to know Christ and coming into a body of believers that didn't look like them and didn't really want them there. And I have said to, to us here, I am believing for, for people that aren't like us to come in here. I am believing that this place is going to be a place where you ladies, you gentlemen, you people can't just leave stuff on the the 
the chairs because somebody might steal it. Because I want those people here. And I saw that happening and what was depicted and, uh, and I just started to cry. And I got out of the movie and Debbie, <laughs> Debbie's sitting next to me and she's like, are you okay? <laughs> I'm all right, but I'm not all right. And, and, and I know that was just a, a, a move of God. It was, it was what the Bible talks about in the book of Ecclesiastes. There's a, a, a season and time for everything. And God does what he did, but he's got to have people that will respond to him. And uh, there were people that responded to him and did things out of their comfort zone and Things they were not, not sure of, but just wanted God. And wouldn't let the unknown or the unfamiliar stand in the way. And um, as we were driving away from the theater, I started to weep again. And Debbie's like, what's going on? And I said, you know what, this is happening again. It's happening again. Look what's going on in our, our country. And it's not just our country. It's happening on campuses of colleges and universities across our nation. It's happening in the streets, the streets of our cities. Chicago, L.A., New York. People are going out. They're praying. They're, they're proclaiming the gospel. And people are coming and gathering and people are getting saved and getting healed. People are getting delivered. It's happening in other countries, in Australia. It's happening in the Philippines. And, and I am praying, God, please, let this be something that continues until, Lord, you return. And I've been asking God, God, do I, do I need to go somewhere? And I am very aware, as much as I can be, that this isn't something that God has for me to travel, to go somewhere, to experience, because he said, why is it happening there? And my only answer is, because you're there and they want you there. And they want you to have your way there. And then I recognized that his question to me was helping me understand, is he here? Yeah. Do I want him here? Yeah. Do I want him to have his way instead of me having my way? Yeah. I'm being honest. Because if... if if all of a sudden God has his way and things start to take off, guess what has to go? My plans. My schedule. My priorities. So that I can... Allow God to have his way in my life and through my life. Well, that's because you're a pastor. No, it's because I'm a child of God. This isn't about a select few. 
although we are going to select whether we're going to be part of it or not. The Bible says many are called, few are chosen, because God calls all of us. All of us are called to be a part of what God's doing. We choose whether we're going to be a part. And with that choice, there is a price. We can't just do everything we've been doing and then kind of fit God's thing in too. We've got to make a decision. Who's first in our life? And I know, I know, I know. Please, please. I'm not mad. I just have to say that because some people say, you would not believe how mad Pastor was today. I'm not mad. This is me being intense. I am intense, and I prefer the word passionate because it doesn't sound so scary. (laughs) But I'm passionate. I want. I'm spending. It's like something's happened new in me. And I've needed it. And I want it. And I don't want it to end. And I want to see God move. He has. We've seen people healed. We've seen people saved. We've seen people filled with the Spirit. But I'm not satisfied. I don't think it's supposed to be just a little here, a little there. And especially with what we've been reading in the Bible. It's just, it really has, it's blown me away when, when I've, I've been able to share with you the things that God was sharing with me starting last year about the book of Ezekiel and how, how the nation of Israel was like these, these valley, this valley of dry bones. They were dead, they were scattered all over, they were disconnected, there was no life in them, and God had someone, Ezekiel. In the midst of this nation that had lost all hope, Ezekiel, God showed himself to and revealed this vision. And the reason why was because God said, I'm searching over the whole earth to find someone whose heart is fully turned towards me. Listen, that's not an easy thing. To have our heart fully turned towards God means we have to turn away from a lot of things that has our heart. And the Bible tells us there should be nothing that has us before or more than God. He found Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was a man who feared God, who honored, who reverenced, who, who, who was in awe of God. And he was willing to listen to God, to be obedient to God, no matter what. You know, his mind had to be screaming out when God asked him, can these bones live? Can they become living people again? His mind had to be screaming, no! Because that's what we would think. And yet God does the unthinkable. God does the miraculous. God does what we can't even begin to comprehend. But he's looking for somebody he can turn to and say, okay, I'm going to show myself strong on your behalf. Will you trust me? Will you believe me? Will you obey me? Because if you do, I'm going to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. And all of a sudden, Ezekiel is part of this this restoration of Israel. And the bones come together. They become these, these bodies. And God says to him, Prophesy to the breath, which is prophesy to the spirit. Speak to the spirit, come and breathe on these that were slain that they would come alive again. And he did, and they did. And they rose up 
an exceedingly great army. And it was about the nation of Israel, but it is also very applicable to the church today. Church has been, never been so fragmented from the very beginning. Somewhere in, in 1052, somewhere around there, the church began to split. And it has been fragmented. If you go around our city, you'll see so many different churches. Do you know the last time I heard that in our city, the city of Rome, there are 77 different churches? Really? And we're all supposed to be part of the same family, worshiping the same God. And God hates division. And Jesus prayed for unity, and yet we continue to splinter, 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 splinter. And we know what the Bible says. We're not ignorant about what the Bible says about division. A house divided will not stand. It actually says we'll be brought to desolation. That means when something's desolate, it means nothing's there anymore. And so this division, this division in our country, in our world, in our city, in our homes, in our churches, is the enemy's work. Now, please understand, God wants unity, but we can't agree with something that he doesn't say is right. It's not uniformity. It's unity. And the only way we're united is we're united around God. Because when it's all said and done, everything is going to pass away, but God and his word will never pass away. He was before anything that was created was created. He'll be long after this earth is gone. And that's why we've, we've got to get connected with something that is enduring, that is stable, that is eternal, and that's God. And that's why the church, the church needs to be reunited. And not, not, not major on minors. Man, we need to major on the important things. What's the important things? There is salvation through one. His name is Jesus. And the rest... Well, we believe in baptism by sprinkling. We believe in baptism by immersion. We believe, who cares? If you make that an issue, you make a dividing point. If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, the way of salvation, then all the rest are trivial. Because if we make them majors, we bring division. And we're working with the enemy's team. And that's where church, it's time. It's time to reach out and, and, and love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Love our neighbors as ourself. Love our enemies. But the only way that happens is we spend time with the one who is love, who can fill us with that unconditional love that isn't dependent on what anybody else does. And the more they do bad and the more they do awful, it's just like Jesus on the cross. What did he say? Father, what? Get them. 
forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That was the mercy of God. That was the grace of God. And we have received mercy and grace, and we need to be ones that give mercy and grace. And it's not something we can do in and of ourselves because we human beings are incapable of this naturally. But supernaturally, when God comes into our life, and that's why we began to look at when the Spirit of God came into those bones, there was life. And they stood up an exceedingly great army. And, and then we looked at the book of Joel where God said, I'm going to pour out my flesh on all spirit. I'm pour out my spirit on all flesh. And, and afterwards, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall dream dreams. Your, your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And I will also pour out on my men servant and maid servants. And we began to look at that. And then we looked at when it was pointing to. It was pointing to the book of Acts, chapter 2. And we began to look at Acts last week, chapter 2, where, where in Acts chapter 2, they were waiting in one place in one accord, the disciples, because Jesus had told them it shows that they had the fear of God in them. They were going to honor, respect, reverence, trust, and obey God. And so they were there where Jesus told them to wait for power. Man, the church needs power. You need power. I need power. The world needs to see us walking in the power of God. And that's why he gave the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God came on them, and all of a sudden, they burst into the streets, and the people that were there to celebrate the Feast of, of um, Pentecost heard all these people speaking in their own language, telling the wonderful works of God. And then people, Peter explained to all these people that were there to celebrate this feast that they were told to celebrate, how they had crucified Jesus who God had made Lord and Savior. And they were cut to their hearts, and they said, what do we do? And he said, repent. Repent. Repent of your sins. Be baptized. Receive the Spirit of God. And all of a sudden, it happened again. There was a great reverence for God, People had all things common because now we've got people that are outstaying what they expected to stay in Jerusalem, and they have needs, and so people are seeing the needs, and the generosity of God is rising up in them, and so they're giving whatever they can give to help the people around them make sure their needs are met. And they were in one accord, and then again, there are more people added to the church. And then we began to look at chapter 5 of Acts where there was a situation that was going on and people are still hanging out at Jerusalem. They still don't have everything they need, so everybody's aware of the needs around them. And so they're looking around and saying, you know what, I got something at home I can sell or I got a piece of land I can sell. And one, one man who we come to find out was Barnabas, he sold a piece of land, gave everything from that land to the apostles to distribute to all the needs around them. And, and there probably was some notoriety that went with that. And some other people decided they wanted the notoriety too. And so they sold a piece of land and they presented it as if they were giving everything from the land because they wanted people to acknowledge, oh my gosh, you did such a great thing. What a, what a generous thing. 
You know, we have this addiction. We crave adoration. We crave affirmation. We crave notoriety. If you don't believe me, look. Look on the internet. Everybody wants everybody to like them. We want that. We need that affirmation. Do you know why? Because we have negated the most important affirmation of all. William Grunall, I believe that's his name, said this. We fear men so much. Now that means to honor, but it's also to be afraid of. We want the honor of men so much because we have not honored God. We care so much about what everybody else thinks about us, about everybody else liking us, because we don't care so much about what God said. And God loves us more than anybody else could or everybody else together could ever. And because we don't look to that and recognize that and acknowledge that and receive that, all of a sudden we are like empty. Oh man, I got I to gotta get it from somebody else. And so this couple did that and because they lied about it and lied to God, their sin killed them. They dropped dead. And then it says in, in chapter 5, uh, verse 11 and 12, I think that's up here. Is that right, Cheryl? Thank you. It says, so great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Now, another, another translation talks about the reverential fear of God, the awe of God, came upon everyone. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And then in verse, the next one, I believe, is there another one? Thanks, Cheryl. And the believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So we, we determined last week that there is this pattern that's, that we're seeing in, in what was happening. There's the fear of the Lord. There is a unity, a unifying factor. And then there's a revival. Do you know that in these places that, that revival is breaking out in, in our country, in our world, that there is a, there's a fear of the Lord? And, and when we talk about the fear of the Lord, I, I've given you some, some definitions, but the last one I gave you is the preeminent adoration of God. So the fear of the Lord, if you'd put that one up, Cheryl, the fear of the Lord uh, is the preeminent adoration and awe of God. And, and preeminent means first in priority and in value and in influence. And adoration, it means fervent devotion, love, and worship of God. And we'll talk about awe later on. But, but this is what it is. And yet, you know, many times we hear this and we say, well, I don't know if I can do that. I guarantee you can. As a matter of fact, I will tell you, I believe that every one of us sitting here, every human being is absolutely preeminently adoring something or someone. If it's not God, it's something else. Because when we look at this, it's about having this, whatever it is, or whoever it is, being first in priority, value, and influence, where we fervently devote our love and worship to them. Now... 
with that in mind, is there any of that going on in sports? I know, I know, yeah. I mean, we so, we so are passionate about this. We make them a priority. We clear our schedule to make sure we're, we're seeing the games or at the games. We value them. We buy their merch. We buy their tickets. We do all sorts of things like that. And then the influence, man, if our team loses, don't be around us. Our team wins, we're like, woohoo! Let's go out and have a big meal. And we're fervent, fanatical about our sports teams. But is it limited to sports? Absolutely not. How about technology? <laughs> that hit home. You don't have to say amen. You can just think, oh me. Oh my. Because look, look, look. We have been so programmed that we need the next thing. And what happens? What happens if we misplace our phone or our tablet? It's almost like we go through withdrawals. Because they are finding more and more people are affirming the fact that there is a, an addiction to our electronic devices. And that they are purposely creating programs, especially in the gaming industry, to cause people to want to come back because there are these little rewards. It's just like the slot machines up the road. You get a little payoff. I was standing in a, a, dr a, in a gas station where I saw a guy plump down $40 and asked for all these different, I don't even know what they were called, they were like scratch-off things. All right? And I, I'm, I'm waiting in line, and I'm seeing this guy scratch this off, and he's going, oh. and I thought, wow, he's got to be a big winner. And then I see him do another one, and, and finally he gets in to the guy that's standing next to the guy that's at the cash register. He said, I'm a winner. I, I've got a ticket here. I've won $5. And I got another one here. I won $20. Now, I don't know the noon math. But I have to tell you, with my old math, I remember 20 and 5 is 25. How much did he put down? 25 and 40. Did he win? Crazy. But he, honestly, I was, I was shocked. I thought he was punking me. But he was serious. He's like, I need that money back so I can, I can get some more. You just lost $15. I think that's the right math, right? And you're going you're gonna to take this money and put it back on them so that you can lose more? Technology. What's, what's another area? How about, how about entertainment? Do we idolize? Do we, do we have certain people or stars that we prioritize and value and they influence our lives because we dress like them? Now, you may not, but look around at the younger generation. 
So we've got sports, we've got technology, we've got entertainment. Anything else we left out? How about music? Because you remember who was the one that led praise and worship in the throne room of God and got kicked out? Lucifer, now known as Satan. See, read your Bible and you'll find out all sorts of interesting facts. And music. I'm telling you, you look at the music industry and the, the priority that people have of that. They're, they are waiting for the drops of the next song of their favorite artist. How they're devoted to them. All right, you over 50. <laughs> Bands even have people that call themselves something to be able to say, I'm related, I am passionate about that. I'm a follower, I'm a fan, I'm a groupie. How about the Grateful Dead? Anybody know what their followers are called? The Deadheads. Some of you were. But you got saved. And, and a little younger. How about Ed Sheeran, people that follow Ed Sheeran? You know what they're called? What they call themselves? Sheerios. I am not making this up. Let's go back. Do you know what the biggest band of all times is? Yes, the Beatles. When Beatlemania was going on. Now, there is an inner group that say they are the elite of the elite of the passionate people for the Beatles. You know what they call themselves? Apple Crisps. I mean, these aren't even great names. And they want to take them on so that they'll be so connected with this band. All of these bands... You know, some of these bands are getting really, really, really old. It's amazing these people can go on tour. <laughs> That's the truth. And yet, and yet, we still want to relate to them. And even ones that have gone on. You know, people are so passionate about Elvis. <laughs> and some of you are not. <laughs> But of all these things, should any of them be anywhere close to how passionate we are about God? How much we have a preeminent adoration where we have our first priority being God, our greatest value being God, the, the dominant influence in our life is God and His Word, and we are so passionate and devoted in our love and worship of God that we don't let anything else get in our way, that we're willing to extravagantly spend our time and our effort and our finances the way we do with other things that we are passionate about. But we, we come to that place where we're like, God, there's no one no one that rivals.
close to you. There's no one close to you. But that's not the way it is. But it's the way it should be. Because one day, every one of us, every one of us, the Bible says, what's ahead is every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. When we get to heaven, we're, we're not going to be singing the praises of, of uh, you or me or him or then. We're going to be singing the praises of him. We need to be practicing for heaven now. And we're going to look at a couple more places. And i got to do it quick. So you got to listen quicker. I don't want to take the responsibility on you. But in, in Acts chapter 19, similar to what happened in Acts chapter 5 where, where uh, the couple lied, their sin killed them, there was a great awe and reverence of God. This is another situation. In Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul went to Ephesus. He found some believers and, and said, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, we haven't really heard. And he laid hands on them. They were filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, just like we had happen a couple of weeks ago with some people here. Now, if you haven't had that happen, that's something for today, and I don't have time to go into it. But don't don't not get everything God has for you. Bad English, good theology. But the Apostle Paul had, had laid hands and prayed for these people, and, and, and they received the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues and prophesy, and then there were miracles. The Bible says unique, unique miracles that were done through Paul. And, and some of the things that happened were claws were taken that he would that would be on him, he'd pray for, he'd hold, and, and they'd take him, and people were healed when they received that cloth. And you may say, well, that's ridiculous. No, it's not. It's just supernatural. And others, it says every disease was healed. Evil spirits were driven out. And Ephesus was known. Ephesus was known for all the occult activity. It was very diverse and very massive in its uh, following and support of occult activity, divination, things like that. And, and so uh, there were a group of Jewish exorcists that were watching what was going on with Paul and how all this was occurring. And these seven sons of Sceva, Sceva was a high priest, uh, they saw what Paul was doing and, and saw that Paul was speaking the name of Jesus and evil spirits were fleeing People were getting healed. And so they decided they were going to incorporate that name because it worked so well for Paul in their exorcisms. And so they, they went to exorcise an evil spirit out of a person. And they said, we adjure you. We address you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches. And the spirit spoke back to him. Now, you may say, well, I don't believe in that. You don't have to believe in it. It is still true. There are people that believe the earth is flat. It's not. The earth is round. It's still true. And, and so the Spirit said, Paul we know. Jesus we know. Who are you? And they didn't come up with an answer. And the Spirit overpowered them, beat them, wounded them, stripped them, and sent them naked running down the street. Now, we have more sophisticated, it seems like, Spirits in, in America. Because you go to other countries, they're just right out there just like that. 
I've seen those spirits. I've seen those possessions. I've seen those deliverances in Haiti, in Russia, in the Dominican Republic, and I've even seen them here in America. But it's less often here because we don't recognize it. And, and many times we just we, we want to deal with those a little more. And so at that point, when these, these seven sons of the high priest were run off, we pick it up in verse 17. It says the story of what happened sped quickly throughout Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. So there's a diversity of culture there. There are Jews and Greeks. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. That's the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is present again. And it says, many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. All of a sudden, there's a, a uniting that's going on, not in supplying for all the needs of everybody else, but recognizing there needs to be a repentance, a turning away from things that we have given ourselves to, that we have given preeminence to, that we have given adoration to. And, and they're recognizing they need to repent. They need to turn back to God. Turn over their areas, those areas of their life. And a number of them became believers, confessed their sinful practices. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at the public bonfire. Now, it didn't say a campfire. What did it say? If you're going to a bonfire and you show up and there's a little circle of logs, are you going to be disappointed? One of the most spectacular bonfires I've ever seen, not in person, but was at Texas A&M. They used like telephone poles. And they built stack upon stack upon stack. And it was monstrous. And when they lit that on fire, you could feel the heat. How do I know that? I wasn't there. Because I saw people turning away when it was lit. And so this bonfire from all these books, from all these people, all of a sudden there was a unity. There was something that was happening in the midst of them where they were all turning away from what they had had and turning more fully to God. And it says the value of the books was several million dollars. How many of you know it wasn't just a couple in a pile? All right. And then in verse 20, it tells us this. This is how the word of the Lord was spreading in a powerful way, causing more and more people to believe. So again, we see this fear of the Lord, this preeminent adoration of God, where he is now the priority. He is, he is the greatest value and the greatest influence in a life. And, and there is a fervent, love and worship of him, which means that you're not loving and worshiping other things. You've got to put stuff away. To turn to something, we have to turn away from something else. We can't just add Jesus to the rest of the pile of the stuff in our life and think, okay, I'm a Christ follower because we're following all sorts of other things. And so this, this again, revival started to happen. And then in Acts chapter 9, verse 31,
In the New King James, it says, and then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So there's a lot here. The churches, it's not talking about one church. It's talking about multitudes of churches, a variety of churches. And where are they? Judea, Galilee, and what's the last one? Samaria. Does that make any difference? Does that register anything with us? It ought to. Judea and Galilee were predominantly Jewish. Samaria was Gentiles. When we talk to and we read about what the Samaritans were considered, they were considered dogs by the Jews. Now they're connected. There's a unity that's happening. They were at, had peace and were edified. The word edified means to be built up or built together. Like a house is built together. Walking in the fear of the Lord. See, that's what they were walking in. And, and the churches began to be connected, began to be built together. Because that's the foundation of unity. The foundation of unity is the fear of God. The adoration, preeminent adoration of God. That's where we get our unity in God. If we don't have unity in God, then we don't have true biblical life-giving unity. The Bible says endeavor. When it talks about endeavoring, it means work. Endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we have not fought for it. We have not worked for it. We have fallen prey to the enemy where we're looking at that one over there in that church and that Christian believer that is a, a Republican or a Democrat. Help me. And we're saying we don't need them. Yeah, you do. That's another part of the deception that we are currently dealing with in this hour. We're so deceived that we don't think we need other Christians. And the Bible says that we are a body where every joint supplies. And it doesn't even have to be outside our little group. We've written some of our brothers and sisters here off. We need to repent. No, I'm going to say it again. We need to repent. Of every place we've allowed the enemy to bring division. Because we are working against what we are told to do. Work to keep the unity of, of the spirit. Well, they don't believe the way I do. They don't vote the way I do. They don't look like I do. Who cares? The enemy wants you to care. And God wants you to care more about him and that family member than what you have an issue about. Because your issues are going to end when you get to heaven. So it ought to end here. Remember, everybody look at me. See the smile? I'm not mad. I'm passionate. I want. Don't you want God to show up and work big in your life? In your family? In your church? In your community? 
then this is what has to happen. We've got to start putting stuff aside that, that is not what God has for us to major on. And, and the Jews and the Gentiles, those dogs. No, no, they're not dogs. They're our brothers and sisters. Yeah, but they don't look like us. They don't smell like us. They don't eat like us. They don't worship like us. But their God is our God. Yeah, but don't let your butt get in the way. And then in, in the easy to read version, it says this. The church in Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had a time of peace. Now, this word actually isn't there, but it's inferred. In the New Testament where the word peace is, it means it's the word irene. It doesn't happen to be here, but it is inferred here. And irene means to be set at one again. God's always putting things back together. The enemy's always pulling things apart. Now, again, I want you to understand, we can't unite with anything that doesn't line up with what God, because God is our priority. But we unite with God, and we unite with everybody, and we look to love and reach everybody else. Not force People saw what was going on and they said, I want to be a part of it. That's what's going on today. In places all over our country, people are getting together because they love God. They want to worship God. They want to praise God. They want to thank God. They want to pray to God. They want to just be together in the presence of God with other people of like-minded faith. And God is showing up and showing out. And other people are hearing about it. And do you know that people are, are driving across state after state. They're coming across the nation. They're coming from the ends of the earth to go to these places and I'm telling you right now it can happen here I'm believing for it to happen here but if I'm serious about that happening here then I have to say all right God you got to show me what's got to what's got to be pushed aside so that you can have more remember John the Baptist I must decrease that he would increase Remember what we started out, prayer? Search my heart and show me. This is not something that's out of the line of what we've been learning. This is all about this, abiding. This is all together what God's doing. And now we're moving rapidly towards the return of the Lord. Do you know out of the 2,500 scriptures or prophecies in scripture, 2,000 have already been fulfilled. And all the ones that are necessary, that were necessary before the return of the Lord, have been fulfilled. Could happen any time. You know, back in, in, in at the turn of the, the century in 1999, there were a lot of people that were like, oh my gosh, i got to get my, my life right because maybe the Lord's going to return. If you've got to get your life right for his return, then do it now. It's not about, well, I'll do it just before he gets here. That doesn't even make sense. But right here again, we see it. And, and, and we've allowed division, strife, deception, To be a part of our lives 
and hinder God from having his way. But he's looking for us to turn our hearts and our lives fully towards him. What's that going to look like? It's going to look like it's going to be different in all of our lives. But worshiping and praying God regularly, if not daily, ought to be part of all of our lives. Reading his word, praying, gathering together. These are priorities. You know, we, when I talked about things that we have, have had preeminent adoration of, one thing I, I, I became very aware of, and I, it's very hard for me to say this because some people are going to think I'm speaking to them, and I'm not. I'm as guilty as anyone of not having God as the preeminent one in my life, preeminently adoring him. And I'm trying to make adjustments in that. But we, even at the level of our kids, we've made sports. This priority where, and we dealt with that too. We struggled with that. It's just part of our time. There are so many things pulling at us and wanting us to, to bow down to and to worship and to value and to revere and yet all of it's going to go by the wayside and there's going to be one that is going to be shown to be above all and before all and that's God just like you've done just close your eyes for a moment. What we've seen, what we're understanding is where there is a fear of the Lord, this preeminent adoration where he is first in priority and first in value and, and first in influence in our life and, and we adore him. We have this, this fervent passionate, devoted love and worship of him. When, when that happens, there's unity. And where there's unity, there's revival, there's life. But in the opposite direction, where, where we're not fearing God, when we're not passionate, where we don't have a preeminent adoration of God, but of something else, just like what occurred with Adam and Eve, they lost the fear of God and they decided to move away from God. They didn't trust God anymore. They moved away from God and went their own way. And sin came in. But where there is not the fear of the Lord and it's, it's now turned to something else, there's division and there's death. And we can see that rampant throughout our society and throughout our country, throughout the church. And right now, I just, I just, I don't even know what to say. I don't know what to do. But I think, I think in this moment, we need to just say, okay, Lord, I, I, I don't want to hide behind any excuses or any reasons or rationales or justifications. God, search me. 
Show me. Show me things that are part of my life that are hindering you from having my life and my life having you. Father, I just want to repent right now. I have, I have pursued other things other than you and put a higher value at times on these things and I ask you to forgive me. Father, help me to order my life according to truth. To you being above all and before all. Lord, help us all do this so that we will be Lord, your body, the church that you are living big in and through that you're showing yourself strong on our behalf because our desire is you. Lord, help this not be a moment in time. Let it be a moment that we are aware of, a change that begins and never ends. That we to continue to do what you said we would do. That as we behold you, that we become more like you and we go from glory to glory. Father, we can't have glory if we're pursuing garbage. Help us turn away from the temporary things to you who are eternal and always good. Father, I thank you. I thank you for working in us to will and to do your good pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Please, please, don't let this be an event. Let this be a process in our lives. I just want to pray for you before you go. Heavenly Father, thank you for every one of your children here. Thank you for your plan for us that's for good, for the future, and hope. Thank you, Father, for your promises to us that you'll work all things out for good for us as we love you, as we, as we really do have a, a preeminent adoration of you and awe of you a reverence and honor of you that causes us to trust you more and more than ever before. And the things that we have trusted in less and less. That we would be quick to obey and complete in our obedience and see your life abound to us and through us, to all those around us in a greater more supernatural way than ever before. We thank you, Father, for this. We bless you in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen.